DiscerningHearts.com presents The Contemplation to Attain the Love of God with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual formation according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He's featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He's also the author of numerous books based on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. We now begin this special presentation on the contemplation to attain the love of God with Father Timothy Gallagher. We are going to look at an exercise of prayer which St. Ignatius places at the conclusion of his spiritual exercises, and which he entitles Contemplation to Attain the Love of God. Now, like other elements in the exercises that we could look at, for example, the rules for discernment and other things, they have their original setting in the spiritual journey of the Ignatian spiritual exercises, that retreat. But because of their richness, they can also be fruitful outside of that original context and in daily life. And so that's what we're going to do here. For some of us, this may be a first introduction to praying with the spiritual exercises and perhaps would awaken an interest to know more about them. For others of us who have experience of the exercises, this will be a return to and a renewal in some way of an exercise of prayer already already done in the course of the retreat. In any case, however, it's hard to think of a richer theme for prayer than we find in this exercise, contemplation to attain the love of God, which is the great commandment, which is the very nature of God, and therefore leads us very directly to the heart of our whole relationship with God. So I'm just going to briefly speak about the exercise, just to present it, and then we will offer it to you for your prayer. Now, Ignatius introduces this prayer by inviting us to consider two notes or qualities of love, because these will run through and will uh, inform everything that takes place in the exercise to follow. First, love ought to manifest itself in deeds more than in words. Second, Love consists in a mutual sharing of goods. The lover shares everything with the beloved, just as every good is shared between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. With those points in mind, we must place ourselves in the presence of God and in his angels and in his saints, who intercede for us, who have prayed for us throughout the retreat. The first is that love, he says, ought to manifest itself more in deeds than in words. Now, love needs both. Love does need words, and we know how precious words of love said to us are, sometimes words that we'll never forget for the rest of our life. Love does need words. But as Ignatius says here, love ought to manifest itself more in what one does in relationship with the beloved than in those words, as precious as they are. So it's especially how we interact, how we relate, what we do that reveals love. 
And the second of these notes is that love consists in a mutual sharing, Ignatius says. So he specifies, love consists in a mutual sharing of goods. For example, the lover gives and shares with the beloved what he possesses, or something of that which he has or is able to give, and vice versa, the beloved shares in the same way with the lover. Thus, if one has knowledge, he shares it with the one who does not possess it. And so also if one has honor or riches, thus one always gives to the other. So this is the second quality of love that Ignatius would invite us to reflect on. Love involves a mutual sharing, a mutual giving. The one who loves wants to give as much as he can of what he has and finally what he is to the beloved. And the beloved in return wants to give as much as she has, and finally what she is to the one that she loves. So those are the two qualities of love he wants us to see. It's more a matter of what we do than what we say, and love consists in a mutual sharing, a mutual giving. Now, as Ignatius generally does when he invites us to begin to move into prayer, he provides a few very simple introductory steps that only take a short while, and which ease us gently into the prayer. It's the equivalent, I suppose, of when we enter church and we walk down the aisle toward our pew and we genuflect and we get settled, and then we're ready to pray. Something like that on the level of our individual prayer is what Ignatius has us do. It's brief, but it it sets the stage for the prayer that gives a kind of ease of entering into it. And these preludes are very rich. Preludes is his term for these, and there are two of them. We must place ourselves in the presence of God, and in his angels, and in his saints, who intercede for us, who have prayed for us throughout the retreat. I ask for an intimate knowledge of the many blessings received, that filled with gratitude for all, I may in all things love, and serve the Divine Majesty. So, we begin, he says, by representing the place. Where are we in this prayer? What's the setting of this prayer? How are we situated? That's the first thing Ignatius always invites us to see. Which here, he says, is to behold myself standing in the presence of God our Lord and of his angels and saints who intercede for me. And this is a beautiful thing. So as we are about to contemplate the love of God, and please God open ourselves to receive it more deeply as we pray, the setting, the spiritual place, as it were, or space of this prayer, is to see ourselves, however we imagine this, in the presence of God and all the angels and the communion of saints. And all of them, these angels and saints, are interceding for me. They know me, they love me, they're my brothers and sisters in the communion of the saints, and they long with great eagerness that the grace that I am seeking as I pray be poured out upon me. So the person at prayer might in some way just pause to become aware of being in the ineffable and endlessly loving presence of God, maybe just to see Jesus and the gaze of love in his eyes or the Holy Trinity in some way. And then the angels, the richness and profusion of the angels, 
who surround the Trinity with such love. And then the saints, and there may be saints that are special to us that we might want to become aware of in a special way. St. Therese, St. John Paul II, and any saint who might be uh, special to us. And just for a moment, just to live in that space of the communion of the saints and the richness of this love and intercession that envelops me as I pray. We must place ourselves in the presence of God and in his angels and in his saints who intercede for us, who have prayed for us. Then I ask for an intimate knowledge of the many blessings received that filled with gratitude for all, I may in all things love and serve the Divine Majesty. Then the second prelude is to ask for the grace that we're seeking in this exercise of prayer. We always do that. There's something that moves. Why do we pray? There's a desire. There's something in our hearts that we want, that we're seeking. And we ask for that. We ask for that grace as we begin the prayer. And so Ignatius says, the grace is this. Here it will be to ask for an intimate knowledge of the many blessings received, that filled with gratitude for all, I may in all things love and serve the Divine Majesty, which is a very rich and packed description of a grace. So here we're asking for intimate knowledge of the many blessings received, not just abstract or from a distance knowledge, speculative in some sense, but intimate knowledge, the way one person knows another person through living in common, through sharing life, the way friends or spouses or family members get to know each other. And intimate knowledge of what? Of the many blessings received. That's the focus of this prayer. That's what we're looking at. The endless, ongoing, continual ways in which God is pouring out blessings, gifts of love, upon us. And we ask for an intimate, in-the-flesh, heart-level knowledge of these many blessings. And why do we ask for that? So that, filled with gratitude for all, I may in all things love and serve the Divine Majesty. Because what will happen as an awareness of how endlessly and richly God pours out blessings upon us, as that awareness grows within us, the corresponding gratitude will well up in our hearts, so that filled with gratitude for all, and then that gratitude will move us to live in a certain way, that filled with gratitude for all, I may in all things, all things, because I've seen God's blessings in all things around me, in all things, uh, preparing breakfast, driving to work, helping a child, a time of prayer, going to the doctor for help with a physical issue. So that filled with gratitude, I may in all things love and serve the divine majesty, love and serve God. We may have heard this phrase, this classic Ignatian phrase of finding God in all things. And here we can see something of the roots of it as an awareness of how blessed we are by God and how loved we are by God concretely. Because as Ignatius has said, love is more a matter of what we do than what we say. This is what God is endlessly doing for us. And then because love is a mutual sharing, a desire to respond wells up within us. 
And that response is described here as in all things, loving and serving the divine majesty. So intimate knowledge of the blessings received so that gratitude will grow in my heart so that I will increasingly love and serve God in all that I do in my life. I want to quote a simple thing from one of the depositions that was given in the cause of beatification and canonization of St. Therese. And this was her sister, Celine, who was the one who was very close to her and later joined her in the Carmel. And in her deposition, Celine uh, says this, Among her duties to God, the servant of God, because servant of God, because that's what she was at the time, and this was the deposition that led to her beatification. Among her duties to God, the servant of God attached particular importance to gratitude for favors received, which is really interesting of, of the, the intensity with which Therese loved the Lord and lived her relationship to God in the smallest of all things even. She attached particular importance to gratitude. It's just good for us just to think about that, to gratitude for favors received. She said to me, Gratitude is the thing that brings us the most grace. I have learned this from experience. Try it and you will see. I am content with whatever God gives me, and I show him this in a thousand little ways. Let's hear that again. Gratitude is the thing that brings us the most grace. I have learned this from experience. Try it and you will see. And you can almost hear Ignatius not agreement to this, because that gratitude is the key focus of this entire prayer. Sometimes we ask ourselves, or we, we say to ourselves, I don't feel like I love God enough, and I don't know how to grow in the love of God. Is there a way? How can I proceed to grow in the love of God? And let's hear Therese. Gratitude is the thing that brings us the most grace. I have learned this from experience. Try it and you will see. In some sense, that's Ignatius' invitation. Try it. Enter into this prayer, and you will see. Having uh, prepared us now to enter into the prayer, we plunge right into it. And Ignatius articulates the prayer according to a series of considerations, and there are four of them. He calls them points. And so what we'll do is just uh, break open a bit his text in which he presents each of these points for prayer. So Having prepared us to pray, what he's doing now is saying, focus on this in your prayer, and here's a way to do it, and here's where it can lead. So it's it's just very practical now. There's nothing speculative at all about this. This is geared toward, it's an exercise geared to helping us enter into prayer. First, consider the blessings of creation and redemption, how God has called me into being and how Christ has suffered and died, so I might be reconciled to the Father. When I reflect upon the gifts of creation and then redemption, what sort of offering should I make? So the first point, Ignatius says, is to call to mind the blessings of creation and redemption and the special favors I have received. Now that's one sentence, but that's endless. So there are three things Ignatius is inviting us to consider, to take time to open our hearts to, to see again, to remember, to recall. 
as we pray this first point in this contemplation. So Ignatius says to call to mind the blessings of creation, and what we could do at this point is just stop to look back over our lives and just let a sense of how, in such a multifaceted way, creation has blessed me over the years of my life. So we could think, for example, of the place where we were raised, uh, the home, the landscapes, the, uh, the, the hills, the rivers, the lakes, the oceans, all the beauties of nature that have surrounded us and been such a, a blessed part of our life, the profusion of the, of the plant and animal kingdoms that surround us, the food that we've eaten, the clothing that we've worn, places that are dear to us, that we go to, that lift our hearts, maybe places in nature, uh, maybe times on vacation when we've seen the beauties of mountains or, or waters, and just let a whole sense of how God has blessed us, and I've only mentioned a few things here, this, this is endless, let a whole sense of how God has blessed us through creation arise within our hearts. And I would do this without hurry. There's no agenda here to be completed within a given amount of time. Uh, sometimes even in the retreat when there's time, people will take several days you know, to pray through this. And I think if our hearts feel drawn anywhere, it's much more fruitful in prayer just to stay there as long as we feel drawn, rather than to feel somehow that uh, we will be praying better if we're moving more rapidly through things. Ignatius says in his exercises of this kind of prayer that it's not much knowing that fills and satisfies the soul, but the, the feeling and the tasting of things interiorly, which means unhurried prayer, allowing the heart all the time it needs and wants. So firstly, Ignatius says to consider the blessings of creation, remembering that love is more a matter of what one does than what one says, and that God has done all this for me. And then redemption, the blessings of redemption. And here too, this is as endless as the entire history of salvation. So at this point, we might in our mind's eye just go back to the book of Genesis and how from all eternity God decides at a given time to create the world. And you have the seven days of creation and the richness, the increasing richness of creation as God creates the earth and then the plants and the animals and finally the first human persons. The original sin and the fall and the immediate promise of redemption and the slow preparation of that down through the centuries. The, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the, the exodus, Moses, the journey through the desert, the promised land, Joshua, the judges, whenever the people would fall away, endlessly patient. God sends a judge to bring them back. The prophets down through the centuries, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the exile and the return, and the moment of the New Testament of the incarnation now arrives. The angel Gabriel and Mary in Nazareth, God having come into the world, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The life of Jesus, those 30 years in Nazareth, the years of his public ministry, and the culminating moment of his death and resurrection, the birth of the church, the sending of the spirits, the spirit upon the apostles, 
the expansion of the church, the Desert Fathers, the Church Fathers, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Bonaventure, and down through to our own time, the endless pouring out of gifts of love, the sacraments that have meant so much in our lives, our own baptism and the Eucharist, which is so precious to us in our life, the church to which we belong, uh, the scriptures. And again, this can expand in endlessly personal ways as we look at the whole richness of redemption, of God's work, which fills the whole of human history. Um, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And again, we remember that love is more a matter of what one does than one, what one says. And love is a mutual sharing. If God has done so much for me, how will I respond? And then thirdly, Ignatius invites us to call to mind the special favors I have received. And this too can, can expand very widely and deeply. You know, we're all familiar with uh, St. Therese's story of a soul, in which she tells the story of God's graces to her and God's mercy and love to her. We all have a story of a soul. Um, and in this third point, what we do in a way is we slow down to let the Lord tell us that story. However we want to do this, we may find ourselves telling the story to God, but it's ultimately his story to us. And so here we could stop and just consider the, the providence that down through the centuries prepared the meeting of our parents so that we would be born. And just even that, you know, all that led through generations to the, to the actual meeting and marriage of our parents so that we would be born, the providence at work that we would be born in this family and in this setting and be given the faith, perhaps um, right from birth, perhaps later in our lives, whatever circumstances, God, the love of God in providing education for us, the teachers we've had who have meant so much to us, and perhaps different priests or figures in the church who have inspired us, have taught us, have instructed us in the faith, have led us closer to God. Again, the place of the sacraments, our First Communion, our Confirmation, and perhaps later our marriage or religious profession, ordination to the priesthood, and the repetition of these sacraments of penance and the Eucharist. The people that God caused us to meet, the turns that God caused us, our life to take that were redemptive for us and led us in ways that brought us to him. Sometimes uh, when I've finished a retreat, I will finish it with this exercise. And I come to this particular point and linger on it, just seeing again the whole of that history. And Therese says to her sister, gratitude is the thing that brings us the most grace. Try it and you will see. Intimate knowledge of the blessings received, the many blessings received, Ignatius says, so that filled with gratitude, I may in all things love and serve the Lord. So I would not hurry through this point either. If we look at the Old Testament, look at the Psalms, for example, many of them are just Israel remembering, remembering what God has done for them through the patriarchs and the Exodus and down through their history. There's a great richness and blessing in this. And again, 
I remember that love is more a matter of what one does than one says, and this is what God has done for me, unceasingly. First, consider the blessings of creation and redemption, how God has called me into being, and how Christ has suffered and died, so I might be reconciled to the Father. When I reflect upon the gifts of creation and then redemption, what sort of offering should I make? Now, having considered these various ways in which God has done so much for us and has loved us so deeply, Ignatius says, I will ponder with great affection, and so my heart now is engaged in this, how much I will ponder with much affection how much God our Lord has done for me and how much he has given me of what he possesses, and finally, how much, as far as he can, the same Lord desires to give himself to me according to his divine decrees. Then I will reflect upon myself and consider, according to all reason and justice, if someone did this much for us, even if our hearts were not warmed with affection and love for this person, just simple reason and justice would say that we would need to make some return. So Ignatius says, uh, I will consider according to all reason and justice what I ought to offer the divine majesty, that is, all I possess and myself with it. Thus, as one would do who is moved by a great feeling, so there's much more now going on than simple thinking and reasoning about things, but this is a heart that is warmed with a deep sense of gratitude and wants in some way to correspond to this. Being moved in this way, I will make this offering of myself. And this is the setting of Ignatius' famous Sushipe prayer. Sushipe taken from the first word in the Latin, take and receive. And this is our response, which puts into words for us the desire of a heart that now sees itself so deeply, deeply, deeply loved and longs to correspond in some way. And these are words so that at this point, the person praying unhurriedly now would pray this prayer. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will all I have, and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, that is my whole interior world, and all that I have and possess, and everything that I have in this life. I realize now that everything that I have you've given to me. Love moves me to want to respond with the same kind of totality. You have given all to me. To you, O Lord, I return it. All is yours. Dispose of it wholly according to your will. This is the person now who is completely available to the one who loves, with a capital L. All is yours. Dispose of it wholly according to your will. Give me your love and your grace, for this is sufficient for me. 
Second, consider how God dwells in all creatures, in plants and in animals and in humans. Indeed, he makes a temple of me, since I have been created in his image and likeness. When I reflect upon this marvelous honor bestowed upon me, what sort of offering should I make? So this is the focus. God not only has given us his creation, but himself lives within it, is present to us in it, and in different ways according to the different levels of creation. So in the elements giving them existence, so the earth itself, the inanimate part of creation, God is present to it constantly, giving them existence, conserving them. This is one of the truths of our faith, but it's a simple philosophical truth as well that God not only creates the whole richness of the created world in which we live and in which we're, of which we're a part, but constantly preserves it in being. Were God to withdraw for an instant from it, it would all cease to be. So God not only creates into existence, brings into existence, but he is consistently present to every smallest aspect of his creation giving it existence. And so we just consider that, that in the inanimate world, the earth, the rivers, and so forth, God is there, endlessly, constantly present to them, giving them existence. In the plants, giving them life. And so God is also consistently present to the whole richness and profusion of the plants and the trees and the fields and so on around us. And now conferring a higher level of being upon them, they are living things, giving them life. In the animals, conferring upon them sensation, present to the whole richness of the animal life around us, conferring yet a, a further degree of reality upon them so that they are sensate beings. And then finally, in man, bestowing understanding, present to us, giving us a spiritual life, a mind that can know, a will that can love and desire. In all of this, God is present to us, giving us this. So, he dwells in me. This is the person praying, thinking now. He, he dwells in me and gives me being, like the elements, the inanimate elements, life, like the plants, sensation, like the animals, and intelligence, a specifically spiritual level of being that surpasses any of these other levels of creation just mentioned and makes a temple of me. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, and makes a temple of me, since I am created in the likeness and image of the divine majesty. So this is what Ignatius is inviting us to consider in this second point, how God is present to all of his creation and in a uniquely rich way, within me, the human person, present in the spiritual dimension of my being, which he makes the temple of his Holy Spirit in a grace given in baptism. In Acts 17, when Paul speaks to the Athenians, he tells them in him, now this is the God they don't know, but this is the God that we do know through Jesus Christ. In him we live and move and have our being. It might be rich just to stop and look at each of those three things. Paul says, in him, in God, we live. We live enveloped by God, surrounded by God, 
inhabited by God who dwells within us. In him we live and move. Anything we do is done with the power and the life and a gift given by God. In him we live and move and have our being, our whole, our whole existence. We could think of the incarnation, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, God present, even in our own humanity, present to us. We can think of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church in Pentecost, poured out upon the church through all the ages. In the sequence that we say on Pentecost Sunday, one description of the Holy Spirit is this, in the Latin, dulcis ospes anime, literally, sweet guest of the soul, who lives within us, dwells within us. We could ponder the indwelling of the Trinity itself, this ineffable mystery that God himself, the Trinity, lives within us, dwells within us, which is why each human being is so uniquely precious. We can think of the gift of the Holy Eucharist, Jesus endlessly present among us, waiting us whenever we wish to approach him. And then, perhaps in just a very personal way, God present to me, in that lovely phrase of Paul Claudel, God is the one who is more intimate to me than I am to myself. God is the one who is more present to me than I am to myself. Now, I'm going to read just a part of Psalm 139. These are the first verses. And this is the marvel of the one at prayer, at realizing how intimately close and present to him God is. O Lord, you search me and you know me. You know my resting and my rising, even that. When I awake in the morning, as I go about the day, you discern my purpose from afar. You know what I'm about. You mark when I walk or lie down. All my ways lie open to you. Before ever a word is on my tongue, you know it, O Lord, through and through, even every word that I say. And even before I say it, God is that close. Behind and before you besiege me, your hand ever laid upon me. That's a beautiful thing. It's like just the image of the Father's or Jesus' right hand placed upon my shoulder. You're that close to me. I'm thinking, you know, as I, as I say this, let's say of a father with a son or a mother with a young son or young daughter, and maybe they're watching something or just participating in a family time, maybe watching another young brother playing his little league game, and the parent's hand just rests on the shoulder of the child without any words. But it means everything to the child. You're present to me. You're with me. I'm not alone. Too wonderful for me, this knowledge, too high beyond my reach. And now questions that can have no, have no answer. Oh, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your face? Nowhere. You're that present always. If I climb the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the netherworld, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn and dwell at the sea's furthest end, even there your hand would lead me, your right hand would hold me fast. So this is what we're considering in the second point, is this wonderful mystery of how God is present to us in all the different degrees of creation, but most intimately, personally, to me, his beloved son, beloved daughter.
Then Ignatius says, having considered this for whatever time our hearts desire, I will reflect upon myself again in the manner stated in the preceding point, or in some other way that may seem better, which is to say, being filled with a sense of how much God is doing for me and being constantly present to me in so many ways, filled with gratitude, my heart desires to respond. And so for a second time, I return to the Sushipe prayer and repeat this from my heart. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. In the third point, Ignatius invites us to consider how God labors and works on our behalf. So through all of these gifts, God is not only present, not only giving us these gifts and not only present in them, but he is constantly working, laboring on my behalf through these gifts. So the third point. Third, consider how God is laboring for me in all the creatures on the earth. He is not content simply to set things in motion, but toils for my benefit. He makes trees bear fruit for us. He makes the sun shine upon us and never ceases to work on my behalf. When I see the Lord laboring without rest for my good, what sort of offering should I make? What Ignatius invites us to consider here is God not only creates the richness of the created world around us and us within it, and is not only present to it, but constantly as our lives unfold, God is working through these different degrees of created reality and then very directly in our own relationship with him, working on our behalf. Some biblical images of this, which may help us just to see this, that is to see that if the heavens exist and maintain their order, it's because God is present to them, conserving them in that order. If the elements support us, if the vegetative and sensitive life of the plants and animals continues to function in its orderly way, it's because God is at work in all of this, conserving all of this in its proper order and function. And above all, if I have life and continue to walk on my spiritual journey, it's because God is, God is constantly serving me. As Ignatius says, God is, makes himself as one who works, as one who labors. So some biblical images of this, which might uh, just introduce us into this reality. Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. John 13, just the image of Jesus having removed his outer garment, having girded himself with a towel, filled a basin with water, kneeling at the feet of his disciples, washing their feet. God who labors in so many ways for me. Or in John 21, when they recognize Jesus now at the lake shore as Jesus, and they bring the boat in and come to the shore. Jesus has prepared breakfast for them. Come and eat, children, come and eat. Again, an image of the way God works on our behalf. 
And then Jesus, who says at various points in the gospel, I am in the midst of you as one who serves. Or in Matthew 20, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And these are images of the God who, as Paul says in Philippians 2, when Jesus comes into the world, he takes the form of a slave. The word can mean either slave or servant. And then gives himself, spends himself in the work of redemption. We could think of the Father's divine providence constantly at work in our lives. As we said earlier, causing this event to happen or that meeting to take place or inspiring in us to take the step that just now becomes so important. So many things in our lives that oftentimes we don't see in the moment but see more clearly in retrospect. This is the Father silently, patiently, continuously guiding our lives through his divine providence. And we can think of the Holy Spirit always at work within us as the consoler, the advocate, the paraclete, the one who is constantly inspiring, leading us more deeply, drawing us forward. Biblically, we can see this expressed in Romans 8.28. We know that in everything, God works. In everything, God works for good with those who love him. And then Paul continues to develop this in the same passage. So this is the, the space of this third point in the prayer, just to seek the grace as we explore the, these different aspects of an understanding and intimate knowledge, Ignatius says, of how God constantly is serving me, constantly at work on my behalf. And then remembering that love is more a matter of deeds than words, and love is a mutual exchange. What is my response? And for a third time, we return to the Sushi Pei prayer. Take, Lord, receive. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. And then in the fourth point, Ignatius invites us to look at God's gifts from yet another perspective. So that God gives them, first point, that God is present in them, second point, that God labors on our behalf through them, third point. And now finally to consider that all of these gifts are from God they, they are an outflow from God, a participation in the reality of God, and they reveal God. Something of God is seen through them. Finally, consider all blessings and gifts from heaven like water from a fountain. All the power and justice and goodness and mercy that I possess from God who reigns into my soul. And I see all the gifts God has showered upon me, what sort of offering should I make? So Ignatius says, fourth point, this is to consider all blessings and gifts as descending from above. Thus, my limited power comes from the supreme and infinite power above. If I can do anything, create anything, raise a family, do my work, share in the life of the church in various ways. Whatever limited power, but real power God has given me to accomplish and to do, 
All of this is a, a, an outpouring from the infinite power in God. It's a, a limited but beautiful and rich sharing that God gives me in his infinite power. If we want to use the word that St. Thomas Aquinas would use for this, the precise word is our limited created reality is a participation in the infinite and unlimited reality of God, which is also why, because it's precisely a participation in that, it also reveals God in limited but real ways. So too, justice, goodness, and mercy. So if there's any justice in this world, if there's any goodness in this world, if there's any mercy in this world, they are there as sharings and outflow from the infinite justice, goodness, and mercy that are in God. So all of these are our created power, justice, goodness, and mercy, and so forth, descend from above, and Ignatius gives us two images. Descend from above as rays of light descend from the sun, and as waters flow from their fountains. And this is a nice way to see it. So the, the light that we receive we receive as a light that is that pours forth from from the sun, which is its source. And you watch a fountain bubbling up, and there's the pool of water. All of that water is flowing out from the original fountain. And that is the truth of all the different gifts and blessings that we have. So we look at, in this fourth point, all that surrounds us and ourselves with the understanding that this is a sharing of this infinite richness in God. St. Bonaventure says at one point in his writings that God revealed himself through two books, the book of scripture, which is the written book, and then the book of nature. So that as we enter more deeply into and just see the beauties of creation around us, here we're invited to have eyes open to the truth that what we are seeing here is a created participation in the infinite beauty of God, the beauty that we see here. If we see it that way, it does become a book in which God reveals himself. All of creation around us becomes a pathway toward God. And it's said of St. Ignatius that in his latter years, he would go out walking in the garden and he would say to the flowers, be silent. I already know what you want to tell me in them and through them seeing God as sharings in God. We may have had this experience sometimes, and I'll just share it in one personal way, but we can all find this in our own experience. Whether it's through the beauties of creation around us, when our hearts are stirred by music, when our hearts thrill at the, the goodness of our child, so many circumstances, and we catch a glimpse for a moment of something beyond. I remember once listening to a Bach cantata, one of the movements in it, which is exquisitely, exquisitely beautiful, and just finding myself saying, this is not possible without a source. There's something more than simply a human reality at work here. And so just for a moment, it's like a veil being taken aside for a moment, and you just catch a glimpse of the deeper truth behind the beauty that is before you. That's the dynamic of this fourth point. Finally, consider all blessings and gifts from heaven like water from a fountain. 
all the power and justice and goodness and mercy that I possess from God, who reigns into my soul. When I see all the gifts God has showered upon me, what sort of offering should I make? So that, to say it in maybe a little more formal language, all of creation is a sacrament of the infinite perfection and beauty of God. A sacrament is something visible that leads us to know the presence of something that our eyes cannot see. So we see the water being poured over the child at baptism, and that is a visible sign of an interior reality taking place, the washing clean from sin of the child and the embrace of God's grace and the opening of eternal life. And we can say something of the same of the Eucharist, for example, when we see the now consecrated host as the priest holds it up. What we see is a sacrament. It's a visible reality that our eyes can see. And through it, we know another reality that our eyes cannot see, but which is really and truly present, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Lord. And so this fourth point invites us to see all that surrounds us in the created world as a sacrament, as something visible which reveals the invisible but true and rich presence of God to us. All of this is simply a sharing in the Lord. And then again, as with the preceding points, aware that love is a matter of what we do more than what we say, and that love is a mutual sharing. If God does so much for us, what will our response be? And then we return yet again to the sushi pay and pray it. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all I have, and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. So that is the contemplation to attain divine love as Ignatius gives it to us. And my prayer would be that as we go through this, our hearts would expand in a sense of how much we are loved. And that as Therese says, because gratitude is the thing that brings us the most grace, in a rich and powerful way, our hearts would expand in a desire to correspond to that love so that the communion between us and the one who loves us so much continually grow. May God grant us that blessing. You've been listening to The Contemplation to Attain the Love of God with Father Timothy Gallagher. This has been a special presentation brought to you by DiscerningHearts.com and the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. To hear and or to download this presentation, along with many different programs brought to you by Father Timothy Gallagher, visit discerninghearts.com. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com.